Welcome to our social landscape. I'm J.R. Woodward. This is part two in a sports economics theme where I spoke with author and journalist Neil DeMoss. In part one, I interviewed the economist Andy Zimbalist about the NCAA, Major League Baseball, and the public financing of the Buffalo Bills football stadium. And this last issue is what brought me to Neil because he's been writing about the public financing of stadiums for over 20 years. In fact, his book, Field of Schemes, How the Great Stadium Swindle Turns Public Money into Private Profit, was required reading in my sociology sport class for years. As I mentioned in my previous post, the state of New York's recent budget allocates over $850 million to the cost of building a new stadium for the Buffalo Bills football team, or at least the proposed recent budget. But with long-term maintenance costs factored in, it's expected to be over a billion dollars. And the bills are owned by Terry Pagula and his wife, whose estimated worth is almost $6 billion, largely as a result of fracking investments. So the public pays the lion's share of the cost, but the owners reap the economic benefits. So we start there, lamenting that this issue still hasn't died off, before moving to the Major League Baseball labor issue, and we conclude with some potential improvements in sports. When I talk to people about public financing of stadiums, um, you know, sitting at the bar late and having a drink and somebody's talking about how great they are. Usually the, the reasons I hear, and I'm hoping maybe you could address them would be um, probably the most common are they create jobs and they bring revenue into the area where, so it's worth the taxpayer dollars. In other words, uh, what does your research say about, about those two arguments? I mean, I've been looking into the stadium business and stadium politics for over 20 years now. And one of the things I've been trying to do is to talk to as many economists, as many urban planners, and, you know, read as many studies as I possibly can to answer that question, right? You know, what do stadiums do, if anything, for a local economy, for, you know, a local city? And I think it's clear to say at this point that there is probably not a single independent economist in the U.S. who thinks that there's any significant economic benefit from building a state, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you might get a couple who say, well, there's a little bit, you know, um, which is fair, you know, it's not, it doesn't do nothing to have a stadium sitting there, um, but it does pretty close to nothing. And there's study after study after study that shows that um, to the point where I've asked economists, how come all the studies seem to be from the 90s? You know, there's a couple here and there now, but not that many. And they said, I'm, nobody can get any funding to do a study of something that's proven at this point, right? right. <laughs> like, right. They can find something that, you know, that is actually worth studying. So, um, so yeah, I mean, they, again, everybody has looked at this. Does it create jobs? Not very many. Does it boost the, you know, like per capita income? Nothing measurable. You know, does it bring new tax revenue to the city or the state? not nearly as much as the expense that uh, the city and the state has to put out. Um, but, you know, it's kind of the myth that goes along with it, right? That these things are these incredible cash cows that, you know, will um, create development and, you know, revitalize neighborhoods and create jobs. And there's no evidence that any of it is true. Mm -hmm. so, um, so, yeah, I think that's sort of one of the big myths that oddly you know, when I first talked to people like Andy Zimbalist about this, again, over 20 years ago, they were making this argument. And I don't think any of us thought that, you know, 20 years down the road, we would still be having to make the same argument, given that, again, in the mid 90s, this is already now. 
Right. Right. I, I remember um, from some of your work in the past, that some of the ideas at least being like the, a lot of the jobs are temporary. They're seasonal if they do create jobs and they're often just moving from one part of the town to another. They're not brand new jobs. And I've also heard that a lot of the newer stadiums are very s- specific how they're built. The architects are not hiring local architects and pure local labor to build these. They're bringing their own labor in and things like that. Um, and then I was going to ask as well about, you kind of beat me to it, but since you, you know, you, you first really touched on this back in the nineties, how have things changed? Had things, have they gotten kind of better? And then the Buffalo example is now just kind of a, a fly in the ointment or has it really not improved much as the fleecing continued? In other words, you know, it, it ebbs and flows a little bit, right. And every time there's like a new stadium, like the LA NFL stadium, right. With has that's almost all private money. Everybody's like, oh, you know, the tide has turned. And then a couple of years later, it's like, oh, I guess that wasn't the tide yeah, turn. Right. Um, and I've, I've, again, heard this for so many years. And I have even been susceptible myself to say, oh, you know, I think it was around 2003 that I thought, oh, maybe, you know, the tide is finally turning. Mm-hmm. It was just a momentary flip, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's such an ingrained part of the sports business model at this point, right? That yeah. How do you make money? Yeah. You make money selling tickets. You make money um, getting big TV contracts. You make money selling, you know, whatever naming rights and naming boring rights. rights and all the other stuff. And you make money by getting public money to uh, to you know build or renovate new stadiums. And that's you know just something that's considered something that everybody gets, and nobody's going to stop asking for it until they stop getting it. And you know, occasionally you'll get a mayor or somebody who will say no, but you know, mayors come and go, right? You you can own a sports team for a lot longer than a mayor (laughs) stay in office. And if you look at something like uh, the um, Los Angeles Angels, right, in Anaheim, who had Tom Tate, the mayor of Anaheim, put a stop to their plan to get a whole bunch of land for free, basically, to uh, develop and use that money to to rebuild their stadium, renovate their stadium. Um, And they just waited him out, you know, and eventually Mm -hmm. he was term limited out. The new mayor came in and gave him gave the team almost the exact same deal that they were going to be getting in the first place. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, it's a tough thing to fight when, you know, you have sort of an inconsistent group of people on the, on the public side sure. um, who come and go um, and the you know, billionaire owners can sit, afford to sit and wait. Sure. Yeah. I think about Oakland with the athletics <clears throat> and they're, you know, they've kind of said no so far it seems. And they keep the team keeps trying to get, I don't know, the port and to get new development here and there. And of course they're threatening, they're going to maybe go to Vegas or whatever. They're selling their whole team. You know, Oakland has just gotten rid of all their superstars over the last two weeks or so. And the team president keeps saying, you know, well, this is the reality of things without a new stadium. And you could say, well, then build one, but that's not what he means. <laughs> he means, you know, the, the public needs to buy us a new stadium or contribute significantly to a new stadium, or we're just going to have to keep doing this over and over. So it's like you said, it just becomes an expected part of the model, I guess. Yeah. And I think Oakland's a good example of sort of what some of the trends are, because on the one hand, the team owner, John Fisher and his, his staff are saying, well, we're going to build this stadium entirely with private money. On the other hand, he's asking for what could be a billion dollars in <laughs> infrastructure, right? Yeah, you sure. know, which means, yeah. you know, right now you can't actually get to the stadium site. You need to build roads and you'll build underpasses and overpasses and bus lines and all the other stuff that actually gets you mm-hmm. down to the to the waterfront, which is way mm-hmm. on the other side of the highway, the other side of the train tracks. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a lot more hidden money um, sure. going mm-hmm. on. I, uh, there's a researcher at University of Michigan, 
named Judith Grant Long, who did a great book about 10 years ago on uh, trying to determine the full cost of stadium deals. And what she found then was that the actual cost, including tax breaks and land breaks and all these other things, was about 40% higher than the stated cost. And as she said, that number was growing. So the more and more of the cost is getting pushed off into these sort of other things. And, you know, if you're an owner of a sports team, you don't particularly care whether you get a billion dollars for stadium costs or a billion dollars for infrastructure costs. It's all saving you money one way or the other. Um, So, you know, just, you know, just look at this bill situation and where they're getting, you know, a bunch of money that they can use for, uh, I think future, it's a future capital fund, but they can use it on things like security. Right. So, right. you yeah, know, yeah, that's yeah, right. just a slush fund for the future. Sure. You're in New York, correct? I'm in New York City. You're, yeah. you're in the city. Okay. So what, uh, do you have any insights since you're kind of, you're, you're kind of right there in the thick of it, even though you're not in Buffalo, you're going to have to end up paying taxes, I suppose, on it. Um, yeah. How, what's, what's the scoop on the street there in, in New York? I mean, it's interesting, right? So the governor of New York, uh, Kathy Hochul, like waited until just a few days before the end of the budget season to drop this plan and kept saying, you know, no, 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 we're not ready. We're still negotiating. It's not going to be a billion dollars. It's not going to be a billion dollars. Who says it's a billion dollars? It's not going to be a billion dollars. Releases the plan. It's a billion dollars. It's a billion dollars. Um, <laughs> and so that that got announced last Monday. And then the Friday was supposed to be the um, the deadline for the budget. And the budget has not passed yet. It's not entirely because of the Bill Stadium money in it. There's also a lot of wrangling over uh, bail reform that uh, the governor is trying to roll back. Um, but it's interesting that she was not able to push it through, you know, with that April 1st deadline. Yeah. So there's been little bits and pieces of opposition. You know, 20 legislators signed a letter saying that it was a bad deal. A few others have come out and said it's a bad deal. So they sign on to that. Um, you know, it's, it seems like it's going to be a little bit of a process. If I had to guess, given the way these things go, I would be surprised if it didn't go through at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, but I wouldn't be shocked. You know, there have been other deals that have fallen apart at this point. So, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see, like, you know, just before I, you know, got on with you, I was checking, uh, Google to see if there was anything new that happened today because it really can change, you know, hour to hour at this point. Sure. Yeah, sure. Do you, do you just beat your head against the wall with some of this stuff? Like, uh, when's it going to change or do you just keep doing what you can? You're writing. I mean, you got to do what you can to sleep at night to address some of these issues and you write about it, I guess, or but do you get, do you get frustrated? Do you give up? I, I mean, little bit i mean i try to laugh keep them crying i mean you know mm-hmm. it's been a long time this has been going on so yeah, right, it's not right. like i really again it's not like i really expect things to, to turn around it mm-hmm. was a little bit not this quickly it was a little bit demoralizing to see um that you know the governor of new york negotiated this deal and it seems to have given the bill's owners everything they wanted and didn't push back at all and right. you know it seemed like it was just going to sort of sweep through um it's again it seems like there's going to be a little bit of opposition so at least it's still a debate it certainly is raising it's doing two things right on the one hand it is encouraging other team owners to ask for the moon as well because they see what the bills are getting away with right Right, so you've got the owner of the titans demanding a possibly a billion dollars um you've got uh the bears looking for a stadium you've got maybe the ravens you've got the commanders um and on the other hand I think it opened, you know, raised a lot of eyebrows to see the New York, you know, state of New York is giving a billion dollars to who for what? 
Right. right. So it's yeah. sort of starting to uh, to um, you know create a little bit of uh, of interest in well maybe this is a problem we still need to do something about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not like um, New York doesn't have other things to spend that money on. I'm guessing. <clears throat> no, there's a lot of needs, and you know it's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's difficult because New York, like a lot of states, is relatively flush this year because the federal government, you know, gave out mm-hmm. a whole lot of COVID money. Um, so everybody can say, well, you know, we've got money this year. Why not spend it on this? But yeah, yeah. you know, that can turn around very quickly. Um, sure, and sure. there are certainly plenty of needs in New York that you know are going to go unmet if the state is paying out money towards the bills billionaire owners for the next thirty years. Sure. Last one about that issue. Um, I, I just read a blurb and I don't understand it, but the governor, I think, said that much of that money is coming from something related to tribes. Yeah, there was a, a bunch of back payment from uh, Seneca Nation um, over casino money. That I guess that they were, it was in dispute about whether they owed it to the state or not. And they finally said, well, fine, we'll, you know, we're sick of this litigation. We'll give you the money. Okay. Um, and then Again, the governor's response was, oh, great, windfall of $400 million. We'll tip that towards the Bills Stadium as if this wasn't money that, assuming it was actually owed, had been piling up year after year after year. So, right, right. Okay. Um, I just didn't know what the, the, the indigenous angle was there. I just remember something about yeah. the Seneca Nation. Okay. It, it, was, it was an odd sort of, it, again, the Governor yeah. Hochul's been spending the last week trying to find various different ways of saying this isn't going to cost you very much money, even though it's a billion dollars. Right. So I think the idea of, of like, oh, look, we found $400 million under the sofa cushion. Cool. We'll use that. It was in my jeans, my jeans pocket when I uh, did my laundry. <laughs> um, okay, so let's move just real quick to uh, Major League Baseball. You've written about that as well. The um, the labor the labor uh, issue, the lockout that has now ended. When I talked to uh, Andy Zimbalist, I commented that the the deal was kind of like the players getting screwed again and he took strong issue with my characterization of that and he thought the um, you know the baseball they have no salary cap baseball players make a higher percentage of revenue than any of the other major four sports whatever so he was not not close to saying that the um, the players got screwed and um, his level of you know, finance and uh, that economic knowledge is way beyond mine. But I wanted to hear what you thought about uh, your take on like what led up to the lockout and its eventual resolution. What do you think about the plan that they put in place? I mean, I don't, you know, screw is a strong word, right? <laughs> um, I, I would say that the players didn't do as well as they, as they might have. Um, what, you know, I, I did a piece uh, recently for fair about with uh, Mark Normandon, who's a, baseball labor writer um, about uh, sort of media coverage of all this. And, you know, one of the things that, that Mark has been pointing out and I've been pointing out as well over the last few years is that a few years ago, the baseball owners realized that they had a huge advantage they weren't taking advantage of, which is that there's really a two-tier system for salaries in baseball, right? There are all the players who are getting, you know, $20 million a year, $30 million a year, who are the superstars. Then you've got the players who are too young to become free agents and too young even to go to arbitration and who are, you know, cost controlled right. and you can pay them pretty much the minimum, right? Mm-hmm. Which is $600,000 a year or something, which is decent, certainly. Sure, um, sure. On the other hand, that's after several seasons of playing for real pittance wages in the minor leagues. And, you know, if you're a guy who gets called up for half the season and sent back down, you don't really get 600000 you get 300000 and then you spend a couple more years making nothing, you know? Yeah. It's a um, rough go. So, so, so the problem was, you know, you can't stop paying 
you know, the, the superstars and you can't, and you don't need to stop to start paying the, the cheap players more. It's all those guys in the middle. Right. And I think the owners realized that they were spending a lot of money on guys in the middle who weren't superstars, weren't making enough of the difference, their team to be worth, you know, $10 million a year or something like that. And they could just win a couple games less a year and have a lot more, you know, young mm-hmm. cheap players. Mm-hmm. And if everybody does that, then that depresses salaries everywhere. Because every, suddenly, and uh, a couple of the guys I remember was Dallas Keuchel um, when he was mm-hmm. first a free agent. Um, and I think he signed, I think it might have been the Braves at that point. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. nice and uh, Mike Moustakis, when he went from the Royals to the, the Reds, both of them, you know, a whole series of players who were getting, who were signing for way, way less than you would think they would, given their track record up to them, yeah. because team owners were just saying, you know, we're not going to spend on anybody who's not, you know, a superstar. Right. Um, and so as a result, you had this sort of hollowing out of the middle and you had overall players were making less and less, uh, you know, revenues in baseball were going through the roof and te- player salaries were sort of staying yeah yeah um so the players really needed to go in and get some some serious concessions this time around in order to try and fix that and they got a couple small things we didn't totally change that so we'll sort of see how it goes going forward it's possible that things like more teams making the playoffs and uh other changes will sort of encourage a little bit more spending on the other hand you still have teams like the A's going out and trading anybody who's not nailed down yeah um so you know i think it'll be it will be sort of we're gonna have to wait and see how it plays out um but you know it's still the same basic dynamic which Mm -hmm. is that the owners have a lot of the cards um and are let's put it this way the the owners are going to do well no matter what um the players might do better or it might do less well depending on sort of how much the owners can stick together. And again, collusion is an ugly word too, but you know, is, how, but, if, yeah. whether they can, whether they can collude without colluding, right. um, <laughs> collude uh, effectively or whether the players can keep playing off against each other. It can at least get a fair cut of the, of the yeah. Uh, revenue. Yeah. It's, it's a traditional labor, you know, labor issue in a lot of ways, you know, the owners have ultimately kind of have that power, whether it's Amazon workers or Starbucks or anything else. It's just these athletes make such money and people kind of, I think they view it differently. You know, they, they, they view it as the athletes are being spoiled, you know, or they're asking for too much. And, you know, it's a, it's just a different lens. I think people view it through. Well, one of the interesting things that people don't talk about as much is the minor leagues, right? right. And you have both, you know, there's been a lot of uh, attention lately paid to, you know, minor league players and how their, you know, lunches are like, you know, a piece of lunch meat on two pieces of yeah. bread. Yeah, um, and they have to pay for their own, for their own housing and all this stuff. Um, and also at the same time, Major League Baseball did this like forced takeover of the minor leagues and then got rid of about 40 teams mm-hmm. and then brought them back in new leagues but they were new leagues that were college leagues. So that means everybody is an amateur, which means nobody gets paid. They right. basically effectively replaced, you know, what's 40 times uh, 25. It's like a you know, thousand jobs. Too much math for me. And replace them and replace them with interns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the baseball writer, Jeff Passan, I think is how you say his name. Yep. ESPN. Yep. I, I read one of, he, he wrote really, I thought I really liked what he wrote during the lockout. He had some, you know, he seemed, I, I don't know a lot about baseball like he does, but I, I enjoyed reading his material. But what, at one point he said, um, 
if you get rid of every current major league player and you hire the next best group, you would notice a difference on the field. If you get rid of all 30 owners and bring in another 30 <laughs> billionaires, you wouldn't notice the difference and it might even be better. Who knows? You know, like the players are the product, you know? And so yep. um, nobody comes to watch the owners <laughs> exactly, with, with a couple exceptions, I guess, but not, yeah. not, not in a positive way. Right. 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 Yeah. Marge shot. Right. Um, exactly. So that, that's, I, I was kind of an interesting thing. I liked his angle there. All right. So last one, it's just kind of an overall sport reform kind of question because I like sports, but I don't necessarily like the way they're currently constituted in certain areas. And so I've been trying to talk to some folks. I, the gender issue is, is it very interesting to me? Um, and the transgender, uh, currently that debate is interesting. I talked to Jay Copley, who's a sports sociologist and, um, and he was uh, kind of a, in a informal mentor to me. Um, I told you Dave Zirin and Zimbalist and Travers. It's kind of, I don't really have an answer, but I, I kind of want to talk to people that might have angles and information that I don't have. So I, that kind of led me to talk to you too. So like, if you could be on a commission that is charged with, you know, changing sport and you, and it had some teeth on your commission, like what kind of things would you, would you do? Do you think could improve sport? It could be a financial angle. It could be professional. It could be college, but you know, like, what do you think um, if you had a magic bullet, you know, Zimbalist is on the Drake group and they're focused mostly on NCAA. If you could broaden that out to the sport world, at least in the U S what would you do? I mean, certainly uh, uh, paying, you know, college athletes is a, a must, right? I mean, you know, it's just ridiculous that people are being exploited to create this billion-dollar product and, uh, and not paid for it. Mm -hmm. um, that's for starters. Um, you know, obviously, as any sports fan knows, there's like this huge problem that you have billionaires, you know, controlling all the teams and holding up everyone. You know, whether it's threatening to move the team or whether it's just threatening to sell off all the players, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you, if you're a fan of a team, you don't really have much say mm -hmm. um, and, and, and you don't have any alternative, right? You know, it's not like you can say, we're going to go start our own team. Right. Um, you know, I, as much as I hate wading into the whole soccer promotion and relegation thing, it's one good solution, right? I mean, there's all sorts of problems with, you know, international and European soccer, but team owners who threaten to move the team if they don't get uh if they don't get concessions is not one of them right because if uh if uh i don't know liverpool you know up and threaten to move um then people in liverpool would just be like okay we'll start a new liverpool team we're the market and we've got the stadium and you know you yeah. guys if you want to abandon this it seems like a dumb idea but you know um, because there's no, there aren't those barriers to entry, right? It's not a, you know, a cartel of owners who control who's in the league. Um, so that would be, so something like that would be a start, you know, obviously it needs to be stronger unions, um, you know, all up and down, including in minor leagues. Could, could the government be responsible for some of these changes or is that the Fox guard and the chicken coop? Um, I think that certainly the government, I mean, you know, the, the fact that the government has not really challenged baseball's antitrust exemption, the fact that the government has not really, you know, challenged the monopoly control of other leagues that, you know, don't have the antitrust exemption. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot more that, uh, that Congress could be doing. But, you know, now we're getting back to sort of the chicken and the egg thing, right? Which is, in order to do that, then we have to have Congress act. Congress is not going to act because Congress is you know, influenced by the same money that is, 
you know, creating the problem in the first place, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, and, you know, the sports leagues can afford much better, you know, lawyers and lobbyists and can, you know, have rich friends who can get them in to talk to, uh, to Congress people, you know, which again, sure. you and I, and you know, sure. people trying to start minor league unions are not going to be able to. So, mm-hmm. um, so that, you know, I, I've said many times that, you know, what you know, people say, what's the lesson of the field of schemes? And I say, I guess campaign finance reform, the problem with sports is the problem with democracy, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's the problem is that it's controlled by money way too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't see an easy way out of this, but, you know, there are sort of little incremental steps that can be taken here and there. Um, mm-hmm. It would not be hard for, again, for, for elected officials to, get sports under control it's just you have to get to the point where they're more interested in doing what's right for sports fans and for you know people in general than for yeah, sports yeah the ncaa is a cartel kind of that idea that could be addressed i would think as well um yeah that's good um dave Zyron said the the myth of sports is that it's based on equality inclusion but it's always been based on exclusion you know like if you don't have money or your race your age your money you know whatever that you know so the notion of sports and then the the way it actually plays out you know individually um well it's a meritocracy right all meritocracies merit gets defined by the people who uh are in control of it so (laughs) you're in control exactly yeah all right well that's good stuff um I'd like to think there's hope. Uh, I guess I wouldn't keep talking about it if I didn't think there was hope. But uh, but sometimes it's hard to it's hard to see the the light at the end of the tunnel when things are continuing. Like the Buffalo thing really kind of threw me because I guess I was like like one of those people you talked about where I, I thought we were kind of moving in a good direction, uh, and then the oh, Vegas too when the Raiders went to Vegas. And the amount of money Nevada paid, and they're like, yep. "Well, it, the the projections look good. If we have eight million things happen this year that probably aren't going to happen, it's going to be great." And you're like, "What are you talking about?" Uh, and so then Oakland, and then Buffalo. So at all the just the last couple of months or so, it's made me kind of kind of get cynical again. So, I mean, it's, cynicism is good, um, <laughs> but you know, hopefully, hopefully, the arc of sports spends towards justice in the really long run. But uh, <laughs> really long, run. you know. <laughs> we, we may not get there with you. <laughs> no, exactly right. I might not make it there with you, but we will get to the promised land. All right. Well, thanks, Neil. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to an interview with Neil DeMoss on our social landscape, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And if you did, please take a minute to follow, like, rate, and share the podcast in all the usual places. Thanks to Neil for his willingness to engage in a real friendly chat. Not only is he an expert in the area, he's also a charming and funny dude. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the interview, and I'll remind you that one of the purposes of the blog is to engage in public sociology. The goal is to engage academic and non-academic audiences in critical discussions of social issues that are typically confined to the academic world, but it doesn't work if I'm the only one talking, so please feel free to sign up for the blog and become a member, which simply entails creating a username and password, then you can comment after each post. At the very least, please feel free to email me your comments, and I'll be sure to respond. I'll post a link to some of Neil's work on my page and tell you that the music was by the Mekons. Finally, if you're feeling so inclined, you can push the yellow donate button on the homepage. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at jr at our sociallandscape.com. And thanks for listening.